Thank you for coming over here and being part of the services. I really appreciate you taking the time and making the effort. And trust me, it will be worth it. You won't be disappointed. So thank you for being here. And um, yeah, we're going to have a good time. So just to let you know a couple of, or one thing that we've got going on, which, for which I would definitely appreciate your prayer. Um, we're, England needs, needs an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to say the least. In fact, all of Europe needs it. Pastor David was um, alluding to some of the statistics about Christianity in Europe. The percentage is about 3% of Europeans are born again. In England, it's a little higher. I mean, it's tough to tell exactly how many are born again, but, you know, people that call themselves in Christians, Christians in England is actually quite high. But people that go to church is, I think, at about, about uh, 7 or 8%, and people that are probably born again would be more about 3 or 4%. In France, there's 80 million people. Less than 1% of them are born again. There's 11 countries in Europe with less than 0.1% Christian. And so that's why God sent us there, and many others, is to change that. And then we haven't gone there to be timid. We haven't gone there to build a nice little church that we can have, you know, meals at Thanksgiving. We've come to change the spiritual climate of the continent. And so we have every intention of doing it. In fact, we'll live for it. We'll die for it if necessary. And it might be that I don't get to finish it. It might be my children and your children that get the job done. But we're going to make a mighty big crack at starting this thing off. Amen? So Reinhard Bonnke kind of encourages me, and I'm sure would encourage you. The first 10, 15 years or so of his ministry, he hardly saw anybody saved. But then since in that time period, since he's changed all of Africa for Christ. And in this last decade, well, 2000 to 2010, I believe it was about 65 million people were born again in their meetings alone, plus all the other people that are rising up in Africa. And so those kind of miracle harvests are coming to other places because the Bible says that God's glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. But it's time for, for the nation that I'm in right now, which is England, to come back to God. And so we're starting a, a, a Back to God campaign in May. Probably the kickoff date will be May the 1st. And it's going to be launched initially and primarily through television. Working very closely with a television network called Believe. And the initial aim is to get 100,000 partners, not financial partners. There will be no financial appeals in any way, shape, or form given. It will not be a fundraiser. We want 100,000 people that are praying and are committed to this vision and this passion to see and bring our nation back to God, and then, which I'm excited about. Could you imagine what a change that would make? And so the vision of our television program, which is called Awakenings, has always been to stir up a hunger for the move of God and to get people praying for the move of God. When Elijah knew it was time for rain, first he had great expectancy because he kept sending his servants saying, can you see the cloud? Is it here yet? But in that time he was praying. And so we want to see 100,000 um, prayers initially and people that are focused in on contending for bringing our nation back to God, the nation of the United Kingdom. And then out of that, we're going to start holding rallies, for want of a better word, in the major cities around the UK. Initially, we'll start in the UK. So London will be over the summer and then Birmingham probably in the fall and places like Manchester and Liverpool and all of these kind of places bringing these people together and doing exactly what I'm doing here, but on a much larger scale, releasing the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit sets people on fire. Amen? Amen? That was a little bit weak, so I'll give that another crack at the whip. The Holy Spirit sets people on fire. Amen. Actually, he does it very easily. It's not hard for him. This is not taxing. He does it very easily. And the way he does it is he gets, he gets people around someone that is hot. At times, that's me. At times, that's you. But when you are burning hot and people get around you, that fire catches. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. Fire spreads. If you are lukewarm, you will make nobody hot. 
Amen? But when you are burning hot, people get around you and they warm up. Either that or they have to run away. And so I believe this can happen, body of Christ, wide. In fact, I believe it will because the Bible does declare without, without compromise, Jesus will come back for a glorious church. Amen. Amen? It's the Holy Spirit that makes us glorious. Amen? Amen. You say, what about Jesus? Yes, without a doubt. The blood of Jesus Christ washes us and cleanses us from all sin. Make no mistake, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. But as far as kind of day-to-day -day operations sort of go, the Holy Spirit is, for want of a better word, the governor. Right. England gives a great example of this. The queen is, technically speaking, the head of England. In fact, not technically, she is the head of England. Most of the land belongs to her. She's the biggest landowner in the UK, one of the biggest landowners in the world. Very wealthy woman. And she gets to fly around in the fancy airplanes, live in the big houses. She's got palaces everywhere. She drives around in, in uh, gold carriages and whatnot. But who actually kind of governs things is the prime minister. And this is why if you're ever thinking of running for office, run for the president of the United States, not for the prime minister of England. Because if you're going to be the prime minister of England, you get all the same work, but you don't get the big house, you don't get the airplanes, you don't get all the fancy stuff, you're just doing all the work. Well, Jesus is the head of the church. It's his blood that was shed for us. He gets the glory. It's his name that we will declare as Lord. It's his person that we will bow before. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Make no mistake about that. But he sent the Holy Spirit to the church. And it's the Holy Spirit actually that, that will cause us to be glorious so that when Jesus comes back, the Holy Spirit will say, Here, I have done what you asked me to do. I, I have not failed. Because <laughs> rest assured, the Holy Spirit is not a failure. Say, so how do I know the Holy Spirit's going to do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. You all know what that says, right? But we all with open face, beholding like in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit, Spirit of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that takes us from one level of glory to another. So, where did, how did I get into all that? I think it was about being hot and other people getting hot too. Oh, body of Christ wide, this is going to happen. So we really have got to start enlarging our expectations. And can I just boldly declare, there are some things that are going on on a small scale that are about to go on on a body of Christ wide scale. The Bible says a short work the Lord will make on the earth. That's poetic way of saying he's going to do it quick. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years. We always think, well, that's, you know, it's been 2,000 years and two. Yeah, but also a thousand years is like a day. So what it would take us a thousand years to do, he can do in a day. Hallelujah. Yes. We look and think, my goodness, it's going to take 50 years to make a difference. Well, what's that in heavenly time scale? About 20 minutes? Seriously. We need to remember whose we are. And who we're serving and who's on the inside of us. Because we've squashed God into this tiny little box. And he's bursting out of it, rest assured. So, bring our nation back to God. We'll start in the UK and then take it to some of the cities in Europe. Some of the ones we have in mind. Sounds all glamorous to say, but these are genuinely the cities in Europe. Paris, Barcelona, Berlin. All of these kind of places. Vienna. We're going to see this, bring our nation back to God. I believe, grow and expand. So pray with us. There's several of us working on it together. 
working with a television network called Believe, among others. And so I really, 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 really covet your prayer that this will be very powerful, very impactful, and will transform the church in the United Kingdom. Amen? So, and you're part of it. You stand with us, you support us financially, you support us in prayer for years. We've been friends for a long time. What I do, I do with your blessing and support and help and encouragement and vice versa. So, let's go get them. Amen? Let's go get them. All right. I don't know whether to get straight into what I was going to say, because it would kind of tie in here quite well. Or maybe we should worship. Let's worship for a few minutes. Stand up on your feet, if you will, please. Singers, could you come back up and, and help me, please? Show us things we don't know yet. Say things in a way we've never heard them. Open our eyes. Lord, give us the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of you. Oh, Lord, I pray, cause us to step into a whole new level in our relationship with you, individually and corporately. And Jesus, we honor you. It's all because of you, Lord. It's all because of you. Had you not paid the price for our sin, we would be far from God and without hope in this world. But Jesus, you changed everything. You changed everything. You changed everything. You changed everything. You know, when you think about the power of the blood of Jesus, you know as well as I do, the things in the Old Testament were just a shadow of things to come. On the day of Pentecost, no, day of Passover, 160,000, it's estimated 160,000 lambs were slain in Egypt that night. And you remember the blood was applied to the doorposts and the crossbeam, and, and then they'd eat the lamb and anything left over was to be burned. And if the family was too big, they could have two lambs. If it was too small, they'd share with their neighbors and... And that sacrifice, 160,000 lambs, you can imagine the streets would be flowing with blood. The smell would be awful. 160,000 lambs to cover the sins of one nation for one year. Not to remove them. And to give them a, 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 I suppose, a form of righteousness. A kind of an imitation of the right to stand before God. Just a few years later, they would, say, well, they would celebrate Passover every year. A few years later, it's estimated 400,000 lambs were slain every single year on the day of Passover. 400,000 lambs. The Bible talks about all kinds of different feasts. One particular feast is a peace offering. Over 100,000 lambs and oxen and, and different animals were slain. I mean, it was, it was a blood fest. It was horrible. And all that blood of all those animals, really innocent animals to cover the sins of one nation, one group of people for one short window of time, couldn't remove their sins, but could kind of appease things for a while. And there'd be sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But then a few years later, one man, Jesus Christ, shed his blood. The human body has approximately, what is it, eight pints of blood? It is, I'll tell you. Approximately eight pints of blood. So Jesus Christ shed eight pints of blood. And in that, with those eight pints, forever dealt with all sin. Eternity past, present, and eternity to come. 
So much so, the Bible says there is now no more offering for sin. By his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. What millions and millions and millions of gallons of blood could not do, Jesus did with eight pints. This is why we say, hallelujah to the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world and has redeemed us out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation. And He alone has the power to present us faultless before the Father. And one of the first things the Holy Spirit will do when He starts to move and His fire begins to come, He will cause you to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Because Jesus said he will take what's mine and he'll show it to you. And he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit is not here to glorify himself. Although we do give him great glory for what he does. He's here to glorify Jesus. Jesus in the sense of at the right hand of the Father, yes. But also Jesus in the sense of the Christ in us. Which is the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit's come to glorify Jesus in two ways. On the throne and in the church. Amen? Amen. And we've got a little bit used to glorifying and, and thinking of Jesus being magnified on the throne, but the Holy Spirit wants to glorify the Christ that's in you. Yes. Amen. Amen? Who he's described as the hope of glory. Yes. In other words, when people see us, it shouldn't be a wimpy, emaciated Jesus that they're seeing. It should be a glorified Jesus. As unafraid today as he was 2,000 years ago. As bold, as confident, as, as dominant, as powerful. Because he said, I'm the Lord. I, I haven't changed. And so the Holy Spirit will cause almost, I'm using just a, a picture analogy, but cause a Jesus to stand up in the midst of the church with his arms open wide. Saying, I am he that lives, that lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. A Jesus who stands up and looks again and says, Behold, I make all things new. And the Holy Spirit will cause this Jesus, as it were, to stand up. For he said, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. We assumed, and rightly so, that that's speaking of what he did on the cross. But my friend, Jesus Christ is the same. If I be lifted up. And the Holy Spirit will come and will lift Jesus up in your life. He'll give him back his rightful place as Lord and King. It's incredible. How, I don't know how he does it, but he just turns our hearts and causes us to see Jesus in ways we've never seen him before. Amen? Go ahead and be seated if you would just for a few minutes, please. I want to carry on talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, I've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Now I want to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Turn, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Second Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look at lots of scriptures tonight because we're supposed to. This is the church. Church is led and directed by the Bible. So it's all right. 
And we want to make sure everything we say is throughout the word. Amen. You know, Brother Hagen always used to joke, you can prove anything, you know, scriptural. If you take things out of context, it always makes me chuckle. We're going to read verse 14, but, you know, verse 12, I heard one person say, you can prove French kissing is scriptural from the Bible. Did you know that? The Bible says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, to greet one another with a holy kiss. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says, and forbid not tongues. So you can prove... <laughs> You can prove anything you like if you want to. We want to make sure we're talking about it. It's throughout. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 14. <laughs> Moving on. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. We tend to kind of have made this a little liturgical, and it said at the end, about the time we sprinkle some water or, or do something, you know, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the, the communion or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with you all now and evermore, amen. And, um, but it's more than that. It's more powerful than that. The Holy Spirit is just as much of a person as you are, you are or I am. He's just a better person. He's a greater person. He's a more powerful person. He's a more dynamic person. But he's a person. Say that to state the obvious, perhaps, certainly amongst a group like this, but it's good to remind ourselves he's not an it. He's not a thing. He's not an entity. He's not a feel-good. He's not a buzz. He's not even an anointing. He's a person. Just as real as you or I. And the communion, the Bible says, the communion or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word communion means fellowship, means sharing together, it means participation. So the sharing together with the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit wants to share things together with you? Yes, share information, but just share things. He wants to be there with you. He wants to walk with you and talk with you. The sharing together, the participation. The Holy Spirit is desperate to, to participate in what you're doing. Desperate. He, he is desperate to participate in our worship. In fact, he'd really like to lead the whole thing, if the truth be told. Because as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. He'd be thrilled. That's why I start almost every service at Gateway by saying, our agenda today is that the agenda is flexible. The only thing we are certain of is that we are uncertain about what's about to happen. <laughs> why? Because... Someone was talking to me several years ago, and they were talking about church and church growth and church leadership. And I was saying, one of the challenges of being the, the pastor of a church or leading a church is that you are the head of an organization of which you're not the head. Amen. <laughs> and you're trying to make decisions for something which you have no right to make the decisions for. Because the Holy Spirit really is leading this thing. He's, he's the head of it. And now, the nice thing is then you can sort of say, well... You know, I'm going to just cast the care into you. If you're going to make the decisions, I can kind of relax a little bit. But the Holy Spirit wants to participate in everything we do and everything we're about and everything we're involved with. My father learned this in a very incredible way. He had a financial services company. He'd sold uh, life insurance, group pensions, not necessarily to individuals, but he'd go into companies and sell them pension schemes. And he would sell life insurance as well. And then he read or heard in a sermon about this guy that, would, that was... Um, doing the stock market, he was a stockbroker, and that he would go into a, a, a trance, not godly, this is a demonic thing, and he would, he would go after all this kind of nasty stuff, and then he would come back with the information he was getting, and he was doing really well in the stock market. 
And I'll never forget the conversation with my dad. It just, it just grieved him. And this was a God thing. You can hear different stories and it not particularly, you think, oh, that's not very nice, but it not affects you. This one gripped a hold of him. And so he started, he decided he was going to start an investment company. His main um, financial services company was called Caswell & Co. And he started Caswell Asset Management. He subsequently sold it and now he's moved to heaven. But this was, you know, going back a few years. And so he managed to talk some people into investing some money with him. I forget how much that he managed to talk people into investing, but it was, I don't know, not a huge amount, a few hundred thousand pounds or so. And every morning he would get up, and he did this for a year, every morning he would get up and he would pray, and he would seek God, and he'd pray in the Spirit, and he would get the Financial Times, which is this huge, great English newspaper. It's, it's extremely boring, but it's got all the stock markets of the world listed in there. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a little bit dry, to be honest with you, to read, but still, it's got all the information you need. And he would pray over that and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? In his first year, he made 116% profit. The next year, he had millions and millions and millions of pounds invested with him. The next year, it was 86% profit. I forget the statistics after that. It changed a little bit. But I, I watched someone say, okay, I'm going to do this with the communion, the participation, the sharing together with the Holy Spirit. Brother Hagen said that God spoke to him and said, if you will be led by my spirit, I will make you wealthy. And I remember him saying, and I was, and he did. My friend, God wants to participate in every single area of your life. I've watched my wife do this in an incredible way, and she's taught me a lot. She takes everything to the Holy Spirit. She really does. She takes everything to the Holy Spirit. And one area that we take this really seriously, of course, is in our parenting. Because the Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, we won't depart from it. But we don't know what way Levi's supposed to go. we got some ideas we got some things we wanted to do and not wanted to do, and we wanted to have good table manners and mind his P's and Q's and be polite and this, that, and the other. But there's a lot more to it than that. I don't just want conformity from my son. I want a heart passion for the things of God. Right. And so I've watched Angela do this time and time again, and she will leave. I'd be going through struggles, and if you're parents, you probably know, it seems like, at least when they're younger, about every three months or so, they test their boundaries, and you think you're pulling your hair out, and my, my son that was this glorious little angel has now become not. Let's just leave it at that. And so anyways, Angela was having some problems with her back and actually had surgery on her tailbone. And so she was out of action for about three weeks or so. And so really, I was, I was dad, I was mom, I was, I was um, cook, which was scary enough. And then I was cleaning the house and I was pastoring the church and I wasn't traveling for that season. And, and Levi's behavior was getting worse and worse. I was able to sort of hide it from Angela because she was in bed, couldn't really move anyway. And so he would do quite well when he was around her. But things were just getting worse. And it got to the point she began to notice. And what was really bad for me is this was happening on my watch, you know. And I was hoping to kind of give him back and he was all fixed and could tie his shoes and play the piano and, you know, speak French. And, and the exact opposite was happening. And so I remember I said, okay, Lord, I need some help here because I'm messing this up in a hurry and I don't want to give him back to Angela, as it were, broken. And so Help. And I felt the Lord say this, you need to wrestle with him more. And so I thought, well, this is the exact opposite of what I need to do because, because wrestling with him tends to get him kind of hyped up and stirred up and, and generally speaking makes things worse. But, but I knew, I knew, at least I thought I knew, the Holy Spirit said wrestle with him more. And so anyways, um, 
I told Angela this, and she does not particularly approve of my and Levi's wrestling. I'll just be honest with you. I think it's a, a man thing versus a woman thing. She just doesn't get it. She doesn't, end how come, doesn't understand how come something that so frequently ends in tears, mine and Levi's, can possibly be bonding. And, you know. So we've kind of come up after this, we've come up with the agreement. She just leaves the room when we wrestle. Well, bearing in mind, Levi was only about three or so. So wrestling back in those days kind of was more, you know, enthusiastic bear hugs. And I'd sort of pick him up and spin him around a bit. And then we'd have, a, you know, then I'd give him the kisses of a thousand kisses and whatnot. And so anyways, here I'm wrestling with him. And so I made a particular effort to wrestle for a good 20 minutes, you know, every day after school. And we're wrestling away. And, and it wasn't but about three or four days when his behavior turned completely around. The attitudes we were having, the situations, we, it, it was just gone. And Angela said to me, she said, wow, what have you done? And I said, I've been wrestling with him. And I kind of wanted to say, ha, huh, because she doesn't approve our wrestling anyway. The Holy Spirit wants to participate in everything we're doing and everything we're about because he's a person. The love of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion. Everyone say communion. communion. You cannot have communion with an it. You can't have communion with an entity. You can't fellowship with a thing. You can only have communion with a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus always refers to the Holy Spirit as a he. Never an it, never a thing, never a force, a, a, a power, a mojo. No, it's a, a he, the Holy Spirit. Turn to John chapter 14, if you would, please. Y'all still doing okay? John chapter 14. And verse 16 and 17, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that it may abide with you forever. No, 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 no. He. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees it not, doesn't know it. You don't know it. But it dwells with you. It'll be in you. No, 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 that's horrible. It grieves you to even say it. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him, it doesn't know him, but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. We've got to understand that Jesus is God's gift to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is God's gift to the world. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. You don't stand in front of the unsaved and preach the Holy Spirit because the Bible says the world cannot receive him. Amen. The world receives Christ. But after Christ has come to live in your heart, he said, and I will pray the Father and he will send another comforter. If the only member of the Godhead that you know is Jesus, you are missing out on something wonderful that God has for you. We preach Jesus to the world, but we need to preach the Holy Spirit to the church. And there are a lot of places and a lot of people that have backed away from preaching the Holy Spirit to the church because it's kind of out of vogue. My friend, believe me, the Holy Spirit is still very much in vogue in heaven. Rest assured. Personal pronouns are used to describe him. Jesus refers to him as a, he, as a he. Look over a few chapters. John chapter 16. And we're about to read a verse that had Jesus not said it, I would not believe it. There is no way we could possibly fathom this but for the fact it comes from the lips of the master. John chapter 16. And even Jesus took the time to stress this. 
Guys, well, he didn't say guys. He said nevertheless. <laughs> Verse 7. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. Strange thing for one who is the way, is the truth, and is the life to say. Strange thing for the one who said, my words are spirit and they are life. To say, guys, I am telling you the truth. What I'm about to say will blow your mind, but trust me, this is true. It is better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Notice Jesus uses personal pronouns here to describe the Holy Spirit. He's trying to tell him about a relationship. And he says, it's so amazing, guys. If you think it's been exciting walking with me, it will be better for you if I go away. And we'll say, wow. wow. Say it backwards. Wow. <laughs> it's good either way. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now I have many things to say to you now, but you can't bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself. And whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And he will glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it. Everyone say show it. Show that it. word show is the word manifest. He will receive of mine and will manifest it to you. The aim of the Holy Spirit is not just to pass on information. It's to, it's to, it's to reveal and to show eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him, but he reveals them to us by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is a revelator. He, he, he reveals, he shows, he teaches, he guides, he leads you, the Bible says, into all truth. Don't leave him in a box and try and do it on your own. Your brain is like a peanut compared to him. In fact, speaking of peanuts, there was a guy... I forget his name. I think Carver was in there somewhere. Do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Said, God, teach me the secrets of the universe. Yep. And he felt the Holy Spirit say, you can't understand it. It's never going to happen. I can't teach you that. So slightly disheartened over a period of time, a while later, he said, God, teach me the secrets of man. And God said, no, you'll never understand it. You can't grasp it. It's just never going to happen. And so he was in a field, he was in a farmer, and there were peanuts growing in the field, which they would grow every seven years when they give the land a rest to kind of draw some of the goodness out of the land. So he picked up a peanut and almost in despair said, well, God, teach me the secret of a peanut. And so God did. And out came peanut butter, peanut oil, peanut brittle, peanut, a bunch of other things that are associated with peanuts that we still love and enjoy today. Because one man said, dear Holy Spirit, sir, teach me the secret of a peanut. Could you imagine the Holy Spirit getting involved in your situations, getting involved? In, if we would just take a little bit of time and listen. So what Jesus is doing here when he says, guys, I'm telling you the truth. It's better for you that I go away. It's almost like he's whetting their appetite. It'll be a little bit like if I were to stand here and say, guys, 
you've seen me before, I've come for several years, but, but I brought a friend with me. Man, wait till you meet this guy. You have never heard piano playing like this person. The minute he touches a key, I, I've seen clouds come into rooms. I, I've seen people sway under the presence of God. And the anointing this person operates under. In fact, if there's anything wrong with any one of you, trust me, when this guy prays for you, you'll be set free like that. I've seen millions of people healed through this guy's ministry. And I take 15 minutes bigging this person up. And then I say, so, all right, let's go home. That'd be frustrating, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You're anticipating that any moment now I'm going to pull back the curtain and ta-da, out comes this person. What Jesus is doing this with the Holy Spirit, he's saying, guys, everything you've seen me do, it's going to be better when the Holy Spirit comes. In fact, he said, the works that I've done, you will do also, and greater works than these what you do, because I go to my Father. Now notice Jesus didn't say you'll do these works because I go to the cross. He didn't say you'll do these works because I present my blood before the Father. He said you'll do these works because I go to the Father. Yeah. Say, what about the blood? Are you take anything away? No, 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 no. Here's Jesus standing and saying the works that I've done, you will do and greater works than these will you do also because I go to my Father. At the other end here is the moment when he goes to his Father. Now Jesus well knew that in between that stage he was going to hang on a cross. Right. And he was going to shed his blood. He was going to spoil principalities and powers. He was going to teach them for 40 days. And then he was going to go up into heaven. And 10 days later, he would send the Holy Spirit. So Jesus wasn't taken away from the cross, his blood, anything he did. But he knew there's something in addition. There's something that will come after that. After I've shed my blood, after I've paid the price, after I've spoiled principalities and powers, when I go to my Father, I'm going to send someone to you. What was the 10-day wait? I don't know, other than probably the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were having a fantastic time <laughs> in heaven. Thought so they can wait a few more days. They'll be all right. They're praying anyway. They're not running off. They're not going anywhere. They're terrified for their lives. They're not leaving the upper room. They're fine. And heaven's rejoicing. And then Jesus sends the promise of his Father. So Jesus is wetting their appetite, saying, I'm telling you guys, it will be better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go, the comforter won't come. But if I go, I will send him to you. It will say comforter. comforter. The comforter. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. Now there's a word here, you know it as well as I do. When the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he will abide for you with you forever. That word comfort, you know what the Greek word is? Paraclete. You're familiar with it when you hear it, even if you didn't know it right off the bat. Paraclete. That word paraclete means this. One called to someone's side to help or to aid. One called to someone's side to help or to aid. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as another comforter. Another person that was come alongside you to help you or to aid you. Paraclete can be translated in different words. If you've got an amplified version, you know this well. Some of the ways it can be translated are counselor, a helper, intercessor, an advocate. The Holy Spirit's on your side. A strengthener. Someone on standby. But I think the best word to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives is the word helper. The Holy Spirit is a helper. 
Now, the sad reality is he helps some more than others. But this is because some people have learned how to yield to him in his ministry, and some people refuse to be helped. We're going to bullheadedly do it on our own words. This is why the last seven words of a dying church, we've never done it that way before. When you don't let the Holy Spirit change you or turn you or move you, you're going to die in a hurry because he's the one that's called alongside to help you. Now, it kind of goes funny to us to say the Holy Spirit is my helper. We think, well, wait a minute, I should be helping him. Well, with respect, what on earth are you going to help the Holy Spirit with? I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but what do we possibly think he needs our help with? No, we need his help. The amazing thing about God is despite the fact that he is God and all that that entails, he didn't mind coming to this earth naked as a baby, born of a virgin in a stable, because he was happy to come alongside humanity and help. Help is perhaps an understatement, but help. Help us out of our sin, help us out of our depravity, help us with our separation from God. And Jesus said, I am sending another comforter. That word another means numerically different, but of the exact same kind. The Holy Spirit has the same mission as Jesus does, to seek and save the lost. Has the same mission to draw people into a relationship with the Father. He just, he just has a, he's a different person. He comes about it slightly differently. The different roles, but it's the same heavenly vision. Amen? Amen. In fact, the, the, the unity of the Godhead is our safety net because they'll never contradict one another. You say, well, I feel the Holy Spirit saying to do this, but the Bible says otherwise. The Bible is your safety net. Jesus is the Word made flesh. They never contradict one another. We need to realize that the one who knows everything about everything is inside you and wants to help you. Seriously, I'm, I'm harping on a simple point, but it needs harping on about. He wants to help you. He wants to help you in what you're doing. Again, it grates us to say the Holy Spirit is my helper. We think we're supposed to help him. Again, what with? It's like that um, the little, you know, you see the bumper stickers. It says... Um, well, some of them say God is my co-pilot. Yeah. Others of them say God's the pilot, I'm the co-pilot. But Angela was praying one time and felt the Lord say, since when did I ask you to be my co-pilot? Yeah. A God who neither sleeps nor slumbers does not need a co-pilot. When we were flying over the other day, the stewardess took great pains to point out there were three pilots on board and that they would be taking shifts and one of them would be asleep. But don't worry, there'll always be two pilots in the cockpit at any one time. When God is in the cockpit, that's all you need. In fact, really, all we're supposed to do is go and sit back in the seats and buckle our seatbelt when he says, buckle your seatbelt, and unbuckle it when he says, unbuckle it, and eat when he says, eat. He is called alongside to help us. We need his help when we're driving. We need his help at school. We need his help when we're praying. We need his help when we're communicating with people, when we're reading the Bible, when we're parenting. The list goes on and on and on. And it's amazing how good life becomes when we allow the Holy Spirit to help us. And we need to learn to look to him in every single situation of our lives because Jesus said to the disciples, guys, what I've been to you, the Holy Spirit is going to be to you. Now, think about how Jesus was with his disciples for a minute. One thing he did was he sent them out. He let them know where to go, how to go, what to say, what to do. 
And when they went where he said, when he said, how he said, doing what he said, they came back saying, good night, Lord. Even the demons are subject unto us in your name. I mean, they were happy chaps. The Holy Spirit, if you listen, will send you to the right person, the right place, at the right time. We can save a lot of beating our head against a brick wall. If we would take a little bit of time and pray. Bill Johnson, you possibly heard of him. He pastors a church in um, Redding, California. It's called Bethel. And their evangelism group, they call it treasure hunting. And they pray and they seek God for a, a period of time first in a, in a prayer meeting together and say, Lord, where are we supposed to go? Who will we find? And what do you want to do for them? And they'll pray and the Holy Spirit will say things like, now my in-laws have started doing this at their church in Canada and bless them, I love them to pieces. They've been preaching the gospel and serving the Lord faithfully for 30 years and have seen more people saved in the last few months doing this than they've seen in 30 years of evangelism. And my mother-in-law was telling me about this the other day. They'll kneel down and pray. And as they're praying, they'll feel the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go. There's a, a really popular chain up there called Tim Hortons. It's starting to come south. But anyways, I want you to go to Tim Hortons. It's a donut shop. And there'll be someone there wearing a red sweater. And they've got this wrong with their heart. I want you to go pray for them. Tell them this. And I'm going to heal them. And so first few times you do it, you're kind of trembling because you're not really sure. And so they go to Tim Hortons. And sure enough, there's someone there with the red sweater. And they go up and say, I, we were just praying. I come from this church. I really felt God say that you've got this wrong with you. And the person's donut hits the floor. <laughs> and so Bill Johnson's church, they're doing this en masse. And they go out to the shopping malls and the places. And they're not going helpless. They're going knowing exactly what to do, who they're going to find, what they're supposed to say, what's going to happen. Well, that changes everything. When you've been somewhere before, it doesn't take rocket science. I don't need to stand here and twitch and froth. I don't need an organist playing in the background to tell you that I perceive by the Spirit that there's an IHOP round about, where is it, Lord? Exit 14. <laughs> Why? Because I've been there before. I'm going there tomorrow, I know where it's, it doesn't take a great genius. I'll never forget the first time I ever experienced this in my life. I was invited to speak at a church in London. I was 17 years old. I think it was one of the first or second times I'd ever preached at a proper service. There's a lot of street crusades, but that's different. You just open your mouth, start talking, say anything that comes to your mind, pray for anything that moves, get them healed, get them saved, and start the whole thing again. When you preach in a church, you need an intro, you need an ending. It helps if you've got a point, or several, actually. You're supposed to have three. You're supposed to say what you're going to say, say it, say what you said. You're supposed to give an altar call, and this, that, and the other. And so I was really preparing hard, and I knew what I was supposed to talk about. It won't surprise you to know it was about the rain. And I was preaching out of Acts chapter 2, about the first time I ever preached about that prophecy. And so I was praying, getting ready for this meeting for several weeks before. And I was staying at my parents' home, and they have this beautiful garden just outside of London. It's two acres, and it's all, it's like a, it's like a, a perfect manicured English garden. There was a, a lily pond that was these circle bricks that got bigger and bigger with big koi carp in it. And then down at the bottom of the hill, there was um, a garden. They named it the secret garden because it was got these big hedges all around that you couldn't see into it. And there was over a thousand rose bushes in there. And so it was a nice place to pray. And so I'm pacing up and down and I'm praying. And I'm just praying in the spirit because I'd prayed everything I knew to pray enough times that I didn't really feel like the Lord needed to hear it again. So I'm just praying in the Spirit. 
And I'll never forget as I was walking along, it was a Thursday afternoon, and I'd been praying in the Spirit for a while. All of a sudden, I'm walking this way toward this koi pond thing, lily pond. And all of a sudden, I had this flash of the service, and I saw it. I saw some of the things that would happen. I didn't see everything about it, but I knew uh, pretty much about how many people were going to be there. I knew what was going to happen. I knew what I was supposed to do. I saw myself praying for people and going down a prayer line and praying for different ones. And I knew what was wrong with many of them. I knew that one person would manifest a demon. It would freak everybody out and that I'd have to go over and cast the demon out. And I saw myself praying for this man. And he was standing in front of me facing this way. And I was praying for him face. And he was very thin, but he looked like he was about six months pregnant. And he had stomach cancer. And I put one hand on his stomach and one hand on his back. And I said, cancer, I command you, go in the name of Jesus. That's what I saw. And I knew the power of God knocked into the floor. So I carried on down the line. And there was people up on the platform because we ran out of space. And so they were lined up across the platform. And I got about halfway across the platform. And I t this is in this vision ahead of time. And I turned around and I saw this man standing at the back next to the sound booth. And I knew I was supposed to pray for him again. I called him back up. This is in this vision ahead of time. And I said, sir, I need to pray for you again. Come up. And he began to walk toward me. And I said, no, sir, come running. And so he started to run toward me. And I jumped off the platform, which was way higher. But when you're 17, you don't mind jumping off the platforms. And he got about 20 feet away from me. And I said, cancer, I told you. Go in the name of Jesus. I saw all this just crystal clear ahead of time. I knew what he'd be wearing. I knew where he'd be standing. So anyways, here comes the service. And to be honest with you, strange as it sounds, when you have something as clear as that, I forgot about it because I was nervous. I never preached in a real church before. And I was nervous and I was doing the whole thing. And I knew it was supposed to be taking up the offering as well. The pastor was in South Africa and, and I wanted it to be a good offering. And I wanted the service to go really well and because he was going to come back and ask all about it. And my family was there and that's always intimidating. And, so anyways, I was so concentrated on remembering to call the musicians up when I gave the altar call that it wasn't until I was going down the line and I stood right in front of this man that I remembered it all. And I looked to my right and my left and sure enough, he was exactly where he was supposed to be. I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And so I put one hand on his stomach and I looked him in the eye and I said, stomach cancer. And he went like that. He was just visiting that church. Never been there before. No one knew him. And he was thinking, how do you know I've got stomach cancer? But he never had a chance to ask him because he was already on the floor by then. And so anyways, I'm going down the line praying for others. And I go up onto the platform. And I was desperate to look over my shoulder to see if he was standing in the back. But I didn't want to mess it up or break it or do anything wrong. I wanted to exactly what I'd seen in case I, you know, interfered. It's a little bit like I've always had this fear. If I get so caught up in the glory that I get translated somewhere to Africa. But I sin when I'm there. Do you get translated back? Or do you have to catch a flight? I don't know. <laughs> So I didn't want to kind of mess up on the way. Here I am stranded in Africa, being translated. Unless the Lord translates my passport and the credit card, you're stuck, so don't sin. But anyway, so I'm going down the line, and I get right to where I was supposed to be, and I look over my shoulder, and sure enough, there he is, standing at the back by the sound booth. And so I said, sir, I need to pray for you again. So he started to come up the side. I knew he wouldn't walk up the center aisle. I knew he'd walk up the side. I knew where to run to, because I knew where he'd be coming. I said, no, sir, come running. There's something about running. Like when you say to someone, when you're about to pray for them, raise your hands, they sort of do this. I said, no, come on, I can mean it. So I said, sir, come running. So he began to run toward me. I jumped off the platform and did exactly what I said. I said, cancer, I told you, go in the name of Jesus. All that I'd seen. What happened next, I didn't see. God is smarter than us. I think he knows if I'd have seen the next bit, I would never have done the whole thing. 
When I said cancer, go, something hit this. Now, this man is running toward me as best he could. He's not a well man, not a well man. Something hit him, knocked him back through the, through the air about eight feet. And he hit the wall off the ground and slid down to the floor in a heap. And everybody went, oh. <laughs> and you know what they were thinking? They were thinking, he's just killed him. Right there and then. And I had visions. This was going to be the shortest evangelistic ministry in history. One service. Say, so how is his ministry? Deadly. And I thought, no. <laughs> So I went over to him, and I'm looking, and I mean, he is not moving a muscle. His eyes are barely twitching. I'm, and I'm, you know, it's funny now, but at the time, I'm thinking, good Lord. And someone said, should we call an ambulance? And he's thinking, this is going horrible. And so I thought, what do I do? So I thought, well, I have to make a distraction. You know, charismatic churches, you can be like, you can get away with all, you can trip and get credit for it and pretend you're slain in the spirit. And, you know, it's like back in the joint left days, you got the giggles and, you know. You can pretend it was the Holy Ghost start a whole, whole move of God right there and then, and you were just giggling at something. So I thought, I'll make a distraction. So I went over and I started praying for someone. And conveniently, it was round about then that the demon started to manifest. And, and so I was able to deal with that. And to my great relief, eventually this man began to sit up and he went out of the service. And it seemed to be all right, and I, I felt like I'd survive. Two weeks later, he and I are playing tennis. He called me in the meantime. It was a Thursday afternoon. He'd come back from the doctors that morning and said, John, my doctor was as white as a sheep today. He went in for his normal tests and x-rays and different things they did, and they did all of them, and then they did some more, and they did some more beside that, and other ones after that. And here it was finally in the evening, the doctor calls him into his office, and he's got a whole spread of charts in front of him. And he says, sir, I don't understand this. See, I've never seen anything like it before in my life. He said, I know I tested you just a short period of time ago. You had this huge, great cancer. They had given him at that point of the service, three weeks to live, he said, there's not a cell of cancer in your entire body. So I went out of that thinking, hmm, I'm sort of the business here. And everyone was asking, wow, and my mother was saying, how did you know? And I wanted to say, well, you know, when others were, when others were playing, I was praying, and you got to pay the price, and all that business. What's the answer? The Holy Spirit helped me. He knew I needed it. He knew I didn't have a clue what I was. He knew the service would be probably pretty awful without some help. So he helped me. Did I help him? No. I cooperated with him. I facilitated what he wanted to do. I did my best to yield. And I I added my faith. I, I tried not to be chicken little. But he did it all. And I wonder how many times would he like to do that? How many services would he love for that to happen? I venture to say, every time. How many days of your life do you think God wants to help you? I would say every day. How many conversations do you think he wants to make go well? Every conversation. The Holy Spirit is your or my comforter. Another translation, when Jesus says another comforter, says not me, but another equally divine person. So what Jesus was to the disciples, the Holy Spirit wants to be to you and wants to be to me. But we need to learn to listen. We need to learn to yield. Now, it's easier than we think, actually, because we have been given a divine means of talking to God. Divine. A time when you're not speaking to man, you're speaking direct to God. 
no one understands you, but in the Spirit, you speak in mysteries. In fact, it's the very first thing that the Holy Spirit gave to people when he came on the day of Pentecost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We get excited about, I feel the Holy Ghost in my hands and I feel the Holy Ghost in my feet and I got him all over me. And we got saying, I got it, got it, got it. I got it, got it. Usually followed by, look what the Lord has done. And it's great that you got him in your hands and got him in your feet, but what God wants is your tongue. Why? Because that's how you and he connect. You're not speaking to men, you're speaking to God. So Paul said, I thank God if I pray in tongues more than any of you. Uh, whether he was boasting or not, I don't know, but he was certainly glad about it. Thank God I pray in tongues more than And he was the one, the Bible says in Acts 19, verse 11, that God was able to work special miracles through Paul. And we'll say special miracles. Interesting that the one who walked in special miracles is the one that prayed in tongues more than anybody. Kenneth Hagin said this, he said, speaking in tongues has been the doorway to all the gifts of the Spirit in my life. John G. Lake, if you're familiar with him, he said this, he said, speaking in tongues has been for me the making of my ministry. Smith Wigglesworth, the way he would prepare for every meeting he preached is he would pray in tongues for two hours before he ever went on any platform. Catherine Kuhlman would go to the auditoriums early and she would get in the back corridors before anyone else would arrive and she would just pace up and down and she was praying in the spirit. Why? Because you're listening to the helper. It's not that God can't move if you don't pray in tongues. It's that you don't know what he's about to do. And we've got this gift that's on the inside of us that we allow to lay so dormant. My friend, can I yell out, stir it up. Stir it up. We ought to be tongue-talking machines. You get around Rhino Bonke, he prays in tongues a lot. I mean it, a lot. Enthusiastically, passionately, on fire. The whole time he's sitting there waiting to go out to preach, he's like a... He's like an energizer bunny that's got its hands tied. And he's, he's, with his thick German accent. If you ever heard anyone pray in tongues in German, it's. Dr. Youngie Cho was standing at a pastor's conference and he said this. He can say it because he's Dr. Youngie Cho. He said this, he said, many of you wish you have what I have. He said, let me tell you the difference between me and you. Again, many of us couldn't say this, but he could and did and didn't seem to bother him. He said, I'll tell you the difference between me and you. He said, you will leave this service tonight. He said, you will go out to eat. He said, you will eat more than you possibly should. He said, when you get home, you won't be able to sleep, but that's no concern because you're going to watch the news anyway. And you'll watch the news for a couple of hours and eventually fall asleep. When you wake up in the morning, you will have overslept because you'll have eaten too much, watched too much TV, and so you'll fall out of bed, you'll have a cup of coffee to get you going in the morning, you'll get into the shower, and you'll come here bleary-eyed at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. He said, when I leave this meeting, I will go straight home. He said, I will pray in the Spirit for a while, and then I will go to bed because I want to be up five hours before the meeting tomorrow. He said, and I will get up, and I will stir myself up, not with coffee, but praying in the Spirit. I mean, he's really going at us. Not politically correct, he wasn't being polite, he's just, I mean, both barrels firing. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, he's right. (laughs) 
He says, so when you get to the service tomorrow, I will have prayed for five hours and you will not have. He said, that's the difference between me and you and between my ministry and your ministry. And there was no one that could really say anything other than, ouch. <laughs> Y'all still love me? Man, that was Dr. Young Cho. That wasn't me. But say it anyway. Say, ouch. Why? Because there is a helper that we've been given that we refuse to allow to help. I was watching this show for a few minutes on the treadmill this morning. The Learning Channel is doing this show about hoarders. <laughs> My goodness. Is anyone in here a hoarder? Are you, are you like the people on the Learning Channel? Really? Well, then I'll be polite. It's remarkable how much people can store. And what is frustrating is to watch these family members come along, try to help the person who's hoarding, and they won't let them. And this guy had this steering wheel on the show today that was never going to fit on any car. In fact, to be honest with you, it looked like it belonged on a tractor. But he was insistent he was going to have someone put it on his car. And it was so frustrating to see people that needed help that refused to be helped. And I bet God looks down and thinks, man, these people aren't hoarders, they're I don't know. They love pleasure more than they love God. Their God is their belly. They prefer the light of the television to the light of the word. And I want to help them sort out their entire lives. I've got every answer for everything they need. And they won't let me. And God must be thinking, oh, I'm pulling my hair out. What would happen if we would let the Holy Spirit help us? Could you imagine? Now, one of the main things about the Holy Spirit, He loves to be asked. The Bible says this, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father which is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? You've heard it said many, many times, the Holy Spirit does not force you. I wish you would. But he doesn't. He does not force his help upon us. But when we ask him, it's amazing. I had an experience a few years ago. In fact, I think it was when I was here. I come in new life one time. This is going back years ago. And I felt I was preaching about this verse. And I decided, you know, I remember what it was. I used to say this all the time. And I was quite pleased with myself for this expression. I would say, for example, regarding something like moving to China. Well, the Lord would just have to write on all four walls before I'd move to China. Uh-huh. Or I just need three confirmations of that one. Or, well, I'm never going to pastor church. And God would have to send a... And one day, I felt the Holy Spirit say, why do I have to write on four walls before you'll do what I ask you to do? So I've never said that since, other than to use this illustration. I changed it immediately, and I said this. All the Holy Spirit has to do is whisper, and I'll move. And you know what? The amazing thing happened. He started whispering left right and center. It was like he'd got 10 years of things he wanted to say and help me with and tell me about and tell me this, tell me about that and tell me the other. And man, everything he said was so wise and so right and helped me with situations and things I was going through. I didn't know what to do and where to go next and, and he would whisper, how do we know how to pray for the sick? You watch Jesus one minute he's saying, stretch out your hand, next minute he's spitting at something. How do we know what to do? The Holy Spirit will say, spit, or, or, or not spit. 
towel stretch out, or they need, that person needs to go wash, or this person needs to do that, or this is what needs to happen. So can we do something? Can we take a minute and ask him? Close your Bibles for a minute. Don't take forever doing it. Don't tuck everything away. Just close it. And let's take a minute and ask him. Can we? We're, we're believers in here. This is, this is church family time. Let's take a few minutes. You can stand. You can sit. We might want to walk around a little bit. In fact, let's do that. Let's, let's just kind of change the atmosphere a bit. Let's walk around a little bit or stand up or, or, or something. Find a space. Kneel down. Come to the front. And, and take a minute and, and, it's a cheesy expression, but do business with God. Do business with God. You can talk to the Holy Spirit. He certainly wants to talk to you. You can talk to Him and, and, and ask Him. You might actually need to start by apologizing for a little bit and saying, Dear Holy Spirit, sir, I'm really sorry that I've shut you right out and I've not listened. And I've gone sometimes weeks on end going through problem after problem and situation after situation, not listening to what you said. DJ, can you come up and play the guitar, please? Not listening to what you said. God, forgive me. We all get frustrated when our kids won't listen to the advice we give them. Oh, my goodness, the Holy Spirit must be pulling his hair. Thank the Lord his mercy is new every morning, and he's remarkably patient. So start out by saying, God, forgive me, and then just take a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to start helping you. Ask him to start leading you. It's right in line with the word. It's what the Bible says he's come to do. So it's okay to ask. And just take a minute. We're not going to rush this too much. It's, it's only 8.40. We, we're not going to go real late today. We've got plenty of time. You've got TiVo anyway. So come on, let's take a minute here. And I believe this will transform our lives. Come on.